You're listening to a podcast from EMJ. Welcome to this new episode of our EMJ podcast series. I'm meeting today at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital with Professor Keith Porter. Professor Porter is Professor of Clinical Traumatology and is internationally recognized for developing treatment for injured servicemen and women over the past 10 years. Uh, he has recently been knighted by Her Majesty the Queen in recognition of his immense pioneering work. Professor Sir Keith Porter, it's a great honor to meet you. Good morning. Good morning. Professor, you have a strong commitment to trauma care in general and military care in particular. Evidence-based medicine traditionally precedes clinical care in civilian medicine, whereas it appears to be the opposite uh, in the military practice. This is rather unusual. Is there a place for evidence-based medicine in acute military care at all? It's a very pertinent question. Of course, we've learned so much uh, from uh, the past in relation to battlefield injury. If you look at the First World War, the introduction of the Thomas Splint for fractures of the femur uh, had a major impact on the morbidity and mortality of that injury. And into the Second World War, there were initiatives then again that had a big input uh, on, on outcome. And, and none of those, of course, were, were subject to, to randomised controlled trials. In the last decade, and here in Birmingham, uh, and in conjunction with the military, then we've had to be responsive to clinical needs. Injuries have got greater in terms of severity, uh, and we've had to deal with those. And, and uh, there is nothing in a textbook that gives you the way forward. So... In terms of military challenges, then yes, one has to have, uh, I think, an innovative and creative uh, brain and a team capable of, of delivering uh, um, new therapies uh, and, and taking a completely new approach to some clinical problems. But I don't think that actually should replace evidence-based medicine where and when it can be used and, and, and obviously uh, we are running a trial at the moment for example in wound dressings to see whether one can reduce the bacterial contaminant load uh, in the wound by certain types of, of dressings and that is uh, part of an RCT but involving uh, battlefield casualties. Uh, the an appropriate dressing is applied based on uh, which arm of the trial the patient's in in Bastion and then further assays are taken on arrival in Birmingham. So, yes, there is clearly a place for evidence-based medicine, though there are some aspects of, of war trauma that where, where there isn't an opportunity to do an RCT and one needs to be immediately responsive. Uh, what parallels can be drawn from the military population and the civilian one? Are there any lessons for civilian emergency care? There are an immense number of lessons uh, from, from the military that we should take forward, and uh, that, that covers the whole uh, uh, spectrum of clinical care. So in terms of, of preventative medicine, then uh, some of your uh, listeners will be aware that, that the military have introduced blast pants, which are silk pants, that uh, prevent uh, penetration, uh, penetrating injuries in relation to the, the genital area and the groins. And that has altered the patterns of, uh, of injury very significantly. So there is clearly a role for, for preventative measures. There are things, for example, forearm guards, which are, are, are used uh, in the military, but perhaps there's a role for that, to, for example, in, in, in other aspects. And, and snowboarding itself is a good example where appropriate protective clothing uh, will actually reduce, reduce the injuries. And there are aspects of what's going on in the military which are translatable into civilian practice. If, if we now 
take our injured patient at the scene, for example, then uh, the military are very good at educating in what should uh, happen if someone is injured. Uh, for example, if someone's unconscious, then a colleague will turn them into an airway protective position, so onto their side. If they're bleeding heavily with massive external hemorrhage, they will have a tourniquet applied. And if it isn't possible to apply a tourniquet, then we'll, they'll use a hemostatic dressing. My own experience in the West Midlands in the last year is I've been involved with three cases where someone has bled to death in the pre-hospital scene where a tourniquet would have made a big difference. Though I should add that, that on, on the 26th of March this year, tourniquets will be part of the armamentarium of the West Midlands Dam Service along with novel hemostatics. So that initiative has been driven by, by what we've learned from the military. Let's arrive in the ED. Um, there are aspects of, of care there, the, the concept of damage control resuscitation and, and damage control surgery beyond ED is something of paramount importance and, and again it's changed the whole uh, ethos of approach in civilian practice. We can now move into rehabilitation and uh, historically, for example, through knee amputations were unacceptable. We've actually used it a lot in our military patients and our prosthetists are able to accommodate through knees, maintaining limb length. So there are so many avenues and I've only alluded to a small number of examples there where civilians will benefit from the military experience. What are the main differences in practice if you were to compare civilian and military emergency medicine? If we start up front, the guys are educated in what to do if they're injured. Um, and I've tried with and uh, been part of other, other, other uh, uh, organizations uh, trying to get first aid into the national school curriculum and that would make a big difference not just for trauma but for basic life support. We have the merit team that the military use so that's delivering critical care interventions to the patient at scene and again that would make a big difference if that was a university available in the UK. The ability for those trapped patients in particular for them to be intubated, ventilated and have other interventions at scene which often isn't available in, 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 the, in the UK. Um, the other important thing would be in relation to ED and, and of course I mean, Bastion is, is purely a trauma hospital but they have this concept of, of, of consultant presence and consultant-delivered service, and we must move in that direction. And uh, I therefore applaud the initiatives of Professor Keith Willett and, and the Department of Health in setting up major trauma centres in the UK, which go live fairly soon, but they will eventually have a consultant present 24-7 in the emergency department. But then one needs to move beyond that to ensure that a consultant surgeon is, is, is responsible for the ongoing surgery. So those are, are messages we can learn. If you go into Bastion ED, and I have been privileged to be there, uh, being there, um, then they have this concept of right-term resuscitation, where a patient with critical injuries and, 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 and uh, a loss of blood goes straight into the operating theatre, and resuscitation goes on in, in the theatre as opposed in the ED. And, and I think we can all recall cases in the UK where slowness in ED with a patient who really needs surgery has, has, has delayed uh, life-saving saving surgery. So uh, I think there are a lot of relatively simple measures that could be implemented. And, and uh, the introduction in the last few years in civilian hospitals, for example, of a massive transfusion uh, policy um, has, has been highly successful. Uh, just very briefly, Professor, 
maybe the impact of the new hospital on trauma and emergency care here in Birmingham? Well, we're very privileged uh, that on the 26th of March 2012, we will be one of three adult major trauma centres in the West Midlands. Uh, I'd have to say that, that, that much of what we are doing um, will mirror what is, goes on in the military routinely. Um, but it does has meant that, that we have, for example, better uh, um, um, available rehabilitation resources, which are so important. If you have an open front door, you must have a way of getting people to a, appropriate rehab at the, at the other end. So I very much welcome these initiatives, and, and I hope that we can aspire to, to what is required of us and, and deliver and continue to deliver high-quality care, which will impact on, on morbidity, but also on mortality. And we anticipate within the region... Uh, a significant number of additional lives saved by setting up these services. Uh, fascinating times, Professor. On behalf of the EMG Report, thank you very much for meeting with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.